a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. It's been three weeks since President Biden signed an executive order for student loan forgiveness, ten to $20,000. Should be no surprise that uh, most Republicans and Many Democrats are still not happy with how that came about and what that will actually mean in the end. And this is a good time for us to step back from all the political rhetoric around this and actually do a real assessment in terms of where are we? Why is it so broken? And what is the right path forward? Uh, And someone who has taken just that approach uh, with some really thoughtful both analysis and ideas. It's one thing to just criticize what's broken. It's another to say, hey, here's a way that might make it better. Uh, Frederick Hess is a senior fellow and the director of education policy studies at the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, And Frederick, Frederick, you've written some great pieces in terms of what this is. But first, let's just kind of paint the picture uh, in terms of where we are, in terms of what the president has done. What does that mean for taxpayers and what does it mean for our colleges. Sure, sure. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, as you mentioned, uh, President Biden uh, unilaterally announced that he was going to forgive about a half trillion dollars, so $500 billion uh, in student debt uh, to people who had borrowed money from taxpayers to go to college, uh, undergrad and grad school, public or private, didn't matter. He was going to uh, give them up to ten or twenty thousand dollars, and taxpayers would pick up the tab. Um, this is there's about one and a half to two trillion dollars total uh, in student lending out there, and there's certainly some progressives who are pushing President Biden to go further and forgive more of this. And um, President Biden, the, the, the general thinking, Speaker Nancy Pelosi had said last year that, of course, the president doesn't have the authority to forgive loans. Uh, But the White House dusted off um, a little-known provision from uh, the post-9-11 Heroes Act of 2003, which allowed the president, in a time of emergency, uh, to waive tuition repayments, say, from veterans or military families who are dealing with uh, critical situations in the war on terror. And uh, the White House decided that this gave the president to do this blanket $500 billion forgiveness. And that's, uh, you know, and that's uh, where we stand today. Yeah. And so looking at that, uh, uh, one of the things we've often complained about and looked at in terms of both, you know, what are the results coming out of a of a four year degree? Uh, we also have kind of the the rate of increase in fees uh, and tuition uh, is going up at a faster rate than I think anything else on the planet. Uh, and so in a lot of ways, this is sort of a, a, a bailout for for 
what you refer to as the college cartel, the big the big colleges. Uh, that's absolutely right. Um, you know, there's thousands of post-secondary institutions in the U.S. Um, the way that college lending works is students can borrow funds from the federal government to go to any of them. Um, up until about 2010, most loans used to be issued by banks, and Washington would simply promise the banks that as long as they made good-faith efforts to collect the loan, that Washington would guarantee them. Um, actually, as part of the Affordable Health Care of the Affordable Care Act of 2010 under Obama, um, Washington pretty much eliminated those bank loans and said, "You have, if you want federal student loans, you borrow directly from us," uh, which is what put the president in a position to try this forgiveness um, maneuver. Um, and what that does is it says to students, "You can borrow these uh, funds and go anywhere you like." And what that does mean is especially for colleges that are looking to sell prestige, so graduate schools that are selling master's degrees, uh, what they're basically advertising is access to students. They're saying, look, come get a master's degree. Uh, You know you're going to get a higher-paying job. And so it doesn't really matter if you're paying thirty or forty or $50,000 a year, you'll get it back. So what we now see is prestigious colleges, Northwestern University, Stanford University, uh, you know, Cornell, selling uh, in-person and online degrees that are routinely fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars mm. um, even in fields like, say, public policy, um, where it's not really clear what you're learning, much less undergraduate majors like, you know, anthropology or women's studies where it's not clear what marketable skills you're getting. And so what happens is we've now got a situation where lots of Americans who feel like they have to get a degree to get a good job go spend a lot of money to get a degree, which turns out not to have a lot of skills. Mm. They don't always get the job, and they feel frustrated and lied to by the colleges. They feel frustrated and lied to um, by the captains of industry. Um, and they're saying, man, I wouldn't have borrowed the money had I known. Right. And what Washington has done, unfortunately, is it has enabled this behavior by letting folks take these loans and letting colleges jack up the prices to collect the loans. Uh, Washington has basically just pumped a whole lot of free money uh, into this wind machine. Yeah. And so let, let's start looking at some of the solutions. I love some of the things that uh, you put out there. Where you have a lot of these uh, colleges that have really large endowments, uh, and and yet they're still getting all of this money, no matter what, from from the government uh, and, and going in there. Tell us just some of the ideas in terms of how could we do this different or better? Sure, sure, absolutely. So, yeah, let's start with the colleges with endowments. Uh, you know, your listeners may not realize that there are colleges in this country that have billions of dollars <laughs> that have been given to them they save up. So Harvard University, for instance, has about $50 billion uh, in various bank accounts that's invested. Um, It doesn't spend these funds to give scholarships to its kids or to run the university. What it does is it invests these dollars and then spends some of the interest each year. So each year that $50 billion grows and it spends a couple billion. Well, you had Harvard faculty cheering uh, Biden's own forgiveness saying, you know, we had thousands of Harvard Law grads who had debt, and now they don't owe as much. Well, if it's a problem for Harvard Law grads to owe money, Harvard could obviously make them good out of its endowment. It's 
choosing not to. It's choosing to charge $70,000 a year for a degree, um, let students borrow from taxpayers, and then stick taxpayers with the bill when students are given forgiveness. So one, one suggestion, for instance, would be that any institution with an endowment um, ought to be in the business of saying to taxpayers, you know what, we're going to handle the cost of loan forgiveness for students who've gone here. You don't need to. So the first thing is that just like when we did the bailout of General Motors or when we did the bailout of savings and loans uh, in the 80s and 90s, uh, Washington ought to say to colleges, you guys need to figure out how you are going to repay taxpayers for the bailout to your former students until you do. You don't get any more access to the student lending program, and you don't get any more access to federal dollars that flow to higher education. The second thing we ought to do is until those colleges work out this plans and start repaying those funds, is just like with General Motors, Washington ought to say, we need to keep an eye on your outlays. So until you guys have made the taxpayers whole, you don't get to give big raises to you know, um, high-dollar administrators and professors with money that you've stolen from taxpayers. So any salary on these colleges that have take, that whose students have taken their forgiveness, um, any salary at $200,000 or higher ought to be frozen until the colleges make taxpayers whole. Mm. A third thing is Washington, you know, is Washington ought to have, or governors ought to have somebody on the board of trustees for these colleges whose job is to make sure that they're keeping spending in check so that all of this forgiveness doesn't simply fund the creation of uh, new academic units or more bureaucracy or new lazy rivers on campus. Right. Um, but these guys control costs again until they've made the taxpayers whole. The basic rule of a federal bailout, the way we usually do this, is when Washington has to step in and get an industry's back, it's assumed that there's going to be uh, some price controls, some cost controls, some discipline until taxpayers um, until taxpayers get reimbursed. Yeah. The same rule ought to apply here. Uh, love. This is some great thinking, and uh, we're going to continue to dive into this as this uh, moves forward because we do have to change the game. We know that even with this forgiveness, we know with the, those uh, payments that have been frozen until the end of the year, we also know that beginning in January of 2023, uh, there are tens of millions of dollars that will be uh, shelled out in new loans uh, with uh, increased mm-hmm. prices on college campuses and people maybe assuming, well, I'll take that loan and maybe hopefully the the next president will uh, will also forgive my loan when, when I'm done here. Uh, but great perspective, and uh, appreciate you joining us today. Uh, we've got Frederick Hess, uh, Senior Fellow and Director of Education Policy Studies at the American Enterprise Institute, our friends over at AEI. And, uh, Frederick, great thinking and uh, great to have you on the program today. Hey, my pleasure. Good to be with you. All right. Uh, that's really something to think about in terms of uh, how that might be done different. Again, not left or right, forward, upward better, transparent, accountable, and real results. That's not too much to ask today, is it? <laughs> Stick around. We'll be back. Final thoughts on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. 
I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.